the governors uh, got together and said, look, let, let's play for a hog. Let's play for a pig. Ben and Eric gather at their laptops. One's a gopher, one's a Hawkeye. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the pot of Rosedale, a bronze pig full of hot takes. I'm Ben. Eric is here as well, but we have a very, very, very special guest, John Steppy of the Gazette. Hawkeye Beat Writer is here to join us. I uh, want to say hi, John. Sure. Hi to all your listeners. Thanks for having me on. We are very excited to have honest to goodness, actual professional sports people to be on this. Uh, it makes us feel, you know, not quite legitimate, but legitimate adjacent. Um, so, you know, you've seen the Hawkeyes. You get to ask questions. You get to watch them pretty closely. You probably know enough. When it comes to the Hawkeyes, there's one side of the team we're most worried <laughs> about. It's the offense. So is there any actual reason to be a little bit more optimistic about Iowa having a better offense this year than last year, which as a reminder was one of probably the 10 worst offenses in power five football. I guess the one upside for, well, I'd say the biggest upside is you can't really get any worse. Sure. So you do have that. Now I think there's reason to expect maybe some incremental growth at a lot of positions. But I wouldn't expect this to all of a sudden go from Iowa level of production on offense to Purdue level of production on offense. That's just not going to happen. Like, oh, sure. I was saying, I think it's the Cleveland Plain Dealer podcast that don't expect Spencer Petrus to go from completing 57% of passes to 77. That's just not going to happen. Now, could he go from 57 to 61, 62? I think that's realistic. And if you have whoever's at quarterback, most likely Petrus, completing in the low 60s, and if the running game is effective, another big if with an offensive line that's really a big question mark, I think you can have good enough results. But there's a lot of uncertainty, that's for sure, with this offense. And the wide receiver position, too, with the lack of depth there is certainly a concern. So, yeah, well, so I... I, (laughs) For us Iowa fans, yeah, we don't expect Purdue. We're always just, our mantra is, please just be mediocre. Please just be <laughs> mediocre. Please be average. We're, we'll be so excited to have, like, an average offense. We'll just be giddy. You mentioned, like, if Petrus is the core, is there, I, I, I was a big conspiracy guy last year that <laughs> I didn't think Petrus was hurt. I thought it was really just a change. Is there is there a scenario where Padilla comes in, and finishes the season? Like, how realistic is that? I wouldn't rule it out. Now, Wow. they like to say everything's a competition. I think there's some space between Petrus and Padilla on one and two. But that being said, crazy things could happen. So I certainly wouldn't rule out the possibility of more than one quarterback seeing the field in 2022 and beyond just like garbage time. Okay. Let's give Joe Abus some snaps to kind of get his feet under him. I think it's possible. Um, Petrus, I would say pretty confidently was indeed hurt. So not to spoil that conspiracy there. Oh, I, but... No, I'm glad you did. I, I, I'm always glad <laughs> I, when Eric's harebrained theories are proven wrong. I will let facts get in the way of my, uh, <laughs> my theories. <laughs> He but likes Petrus, the production in the first half of the year versus the second half after that injury. It's a night and day difference. And what I've heard too away from 
you know, the formal media interviews as well really lines up with that. Okay. All right. I'm glad we can put that to bed, Eric. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted. So you mentioned wide receiver depth, and we all know we lost Tyrone Tracy to Purdue, which is a bummer, but not wholly unexpected. But then we lost Charlie Jones to Purdue also. Um, and then we've got some kind of injuries. I mean, I can it get us up to speed. I think Nico, Nico Regani has a little bit of a foot thing maybe, and Keegan Johnson's back at practice. Is he looking 100%? Where are we at with the health of our wide receivers? So that's the challenge with Iowa not having as much practice access is we're a little limited. Um, we'll have probably a better idea of that going into the Tuesday press conferences leading up to the oh, first game of the season. Sure. But Keegan Johnson appears to be back. So that's a positive sign there. He's, he's been in multiple photo galleries of practice. So that's really a good sign. I'm curious to see Rudaney, what the status is for him on Tuesday when we get to talk to players and parents, um, because you really can't afford to have many injuries where you yeah. have three players available this season that have caught a pass before in a Hawkeye uniform. Right. And so, um, if you yeah. lose one of them, you're really in trouble. If you lose two, it could be a long year. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, let's, Push on that a little bit more. So Arlen Bruce, the fourth, Keegan Johnson, and Nico Ganey. Those are one, two, three, in, in some order. I, I mean, it's probably Keegan. I don't know what the exact order. But those, those are the three guys, right, that caught a pass last year. Who is there? Liter- I mean, literally, who is four, five, and six? Is who it is just Laporta all day? Is he just throwing to the tight end all day? Well, that's a given. I think you can try that. The issue is going to be that defenses are going to pick up on that. And I would imagine we'd see some pretty aggressive defenses in terms of coverage on Laporta. I think Lachey can help a little bit too, where I think we're going to see some different personnel groupings, a lot more two tight ends, maybe even three tight ends. You know, Ference really likes Johnny Pascuzzi, or as he sometimes refers to him, Johnny Jacuzzi. Great nickname right there. (laughs) That's great. Yes. So you have him. You've got Steve Cilianos, the transfer from Lafayette College. Of course, it's a pretty quick adjustment going from playing at Lafayette College to playing in the Big Ten. So there's probably going to be a little bit of a learning curve there, but he does have two years of eligibility. And then even Addison Ostranga looked good in the open practice that we got to see. So they have a lot of options at tight end, but at the same time, that can't totally make up for the wide receiver issue. And I really wouldn't be surprised to see some walk-ons. Alec Wick, certainly among them. Once Deontay Vines gets back, that'll help. But otherwise, yeah, you could be seeing a lot of walk-ons here with that wide receiver four and five spots. Right, and so we got Jackson Ritter's hurt too, right? Am I? Yeah, so he's out for the whole season. Yeah, which hurts because he has at least a little bit of experience where he could be that fourth guy. Now you have Brody Brecht on scholarship, of course. The downside with him is he hasn't been able to spend all of his time in football. Right. So he's been kind of splitting things between baseball and football. Then you have his injury situation too. It gets to be a pretty thin group there in terms of scholarship guys when you have Vines, Brecht, and Johnson all missing the kids' practice 
And here's the other thing, too, is let's say Reganey, Keegan, let's say all three and Bruce are available for week one. Well, you still have guys missing time in camp. That still has an effect in terms of preseason development. This is valuable fall camp time. Yeah, that is. Um, just go back a little bit on the the possible two tight end and three tight end sets. I mean, do you think there's actually a chance in a game situation we could get Sam Laporta lining up as a wideout? I know there was a little bit of that happening in practice. Is that the actual possibility? Yeah, I think that's very much a possibility, and it might even be a necessity, I would even say. Oh, well, that's fascinating. Because of where the wide receiver position is right now. But the issue is Sam Laporta can't do everything. So you need some other guy. And what happens if Laporta gets hurt or something like that? So the solution to the whole wide receiver problem can't just be, oh, Sam Laporta. But no, well, sure. I mean, it can go a long ways. Sure. Well, it, it, I'm just thinking of any anything you can do in the short term because you can't control the injury situation, and it's Iowa, so you have trouble getting wide receivers. I mean, you can't get wide receivers to stay. Uh, wide receivers that were given playing time couldn't stay because they wanted a chance to say, hey, NFL, look at me. I can actually play wide receiver well. Don't don't judge me because I play for Kirk Ferentz. They don't like blocking 60% of the time, or is that? I, 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 yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if you're Charlie Jones or Tyrone Tracy, you're like, I got, I got to catch passes. Like, I want to have a shot at the NFL. This isn't going to work. They don't care how well I can block in the NFL. Anyone doesn't care if I'm a great blocking wide receiver. I have to be able to catch passes. Um, yeah, but there's, I'm just, that's fascinating that if that would actually happen, that'd be just, I mean, I don't want this situation to happen, but it would be pretty cool if occasionally we saw San Laporta lineup as, as a wideout. Again, it doesn't, it doesn't solve the problem. Um, so sticking to the offense, because again, this is where we have the question marks. I, I have no question marks about the defense. I'm <laughs> confident the defense is going to be excellent, has depths throughout everywhere um the offensive line they were despite having the best center in college football last year the offensive line for iowa was super rough i, I you, you mentioned you know once you bottom out there's really no place to go We call that like the dead cat bounce you, know, you get so bad <laughs> that at some point you're going to bounce up and be at least a little bit better but is there a chance that the offensive line can be decent solid good enough that they can go heavy on the run all the time and rely on a heavy diet run and actually have success, you know, average more than 3.2 yards a carry or whatever it was last year. I mean, is that a possibility? Or are we still just sort of dreaming of 15 years ago with the last time Iowa had a great running game? I think that's an area where it's possible to see incremental progress, but don't expect them to all of a sudden be one of the best offensive lines in the country. Where you have Mason Richmond coming back, after getting a lot of experience, kind of getting thrown into the fire last year, Connor Colby, same way, thrown into the fire for him, especially considering he was a true freshman last year. So you have some of those guys who now are a little more experienced after finally getting kind of thrown into the deep end of the pool. So that's the reason for optimism there. But they've been really banged up in fall camp okay. with – you know, you can have a pretty long list of injuries along with Justin Britt being out for the season as well. So that's the issue is, and still at center, you were mentioning having Tyra Linderbaum last year. It's easy to take Linderbaum for granted. And Logan Jones has done a serviceable job from what we've been able to see. But at the same time, it's a tough transition to go from 
being a reserve on the defensive line who barely played in 2021 to being the starting center in 2022, potentially. But then there's also, it's a question mark, as you were saying, because maybe Michael Mislinski really steps up. He was Hirsch in the spring, so we didn't really get a chance to see him. So there are some wild cards there. Reason, if you're really half glass full to expect maybe some improvement, but also a lot of reasons for caution. Well, yeah, I, I'm definitely not a ha- I'm a glass half empty guy all the way. I was just <laughs> desperate, John, for you to give me some tangible evidence for reasons to, to say, hey, the glass is actually 51 percent. Full, um, is really what I'm looking for. Um, well, see, I, I'm the gopher here on this podcast, so I'm loving all this. This is making me really happy. Uh, <laughs> what about what about the running like running back? So you lose you lose Goodson. Are they replacing? Is going to be sort of a committee thing? Is that correct? Yeah. So Gavin Williams and LaShawn Williams are one and two on the depth chart right now. It's Gavin as one, LaShawn as two. It wouldn't shock me if. Maybe LaShawn has a bigger role than Gavin, or it could be pretty close. Where last year, Goodson was the clear number one. And then it was a break between him and Ivory Kelly Martin, and then later Gavin Williams in that running back two spot. This year, it's going to be a little more by committee. And I wouldn't be shocked to see some of the true freshmen get a little bit of time at running back with Caleb Johnson and Jazzy and Patterson. So... I think the key for them is just how much space does this offensive line give them where they're talented backs. It appears from what we've been able to see. I was impressed by the true freshman about a week and a half ago, but if you don't have much space, it's hard to do much. So on that front, I mean, so some of the, there was some, you know, this wasn't a big thing, but there was a few, it was kind of percolated a little bit. Uh, Tyler Goodson, the problem was he he spent a little bit too much time being too patient in the backfield. He was really looking for that massive crease of the big play, and so he ended up getting tackled for a loss often. Where we've heard that that Gavin and LaShawn Williams, they're both more physical. Uh, The old adage, north and south, they get upfield, and they're able to just lower their shoulder um, and, you know, grind out some yards. I mean, does that kind of coalesce with what you've seen, John, that they're they're a little bit more physical and just going to dive in a little bit more and just attack? a little more aggressively than Goodson. Yeah, that was a clear issue, I think, with Goodson where, okay, the difference between a second and 13 and a second and nine is really big. Sure. And from what I've seen, even when there's nothing, they can make something maybe a little bit out of it. I was really impressed with a play that LaShawn Williams had at Kids Day where it looked like there was nothing and he was able to still get something out of it. Um, Kind of elusive there. So I think that helps to not be in those second and 13 situations. If that carries over into games, that's the other question mark here is, okay, we're looking at, okay, what we've seen from a couple practices, what we're hearing from various people about what's happening in the other practices. But when it comes to a game and it's a different team on the other side, things could look a little different, but yeah, I think there's reason for optimism with the running backs and maybe not getting stuck into quite as many of those second and 12, second and 13 situations. All right. No, that's good. Okay. There's, there's something. You give me something to grab. We're going to get <laughs> – occasionally instead of getting tackles for losses, we're going to get gains of one and two yards, which which is kind of sad, but that that's an improvement uh, for what <laughs> was happening with Iowa. Um, 
Okay. I mean, that's, yeah, you mentioned practice is different than games. I, I'm confident Spencer Petrus is one of the best practicers ever. I'm sure he looks amazing in practice. <laughs> and then when there's actual dudes trying to confuse you and maul you, your brain can't be as calm and rational as you can be in practice. Um, but is Spencer Petrus looking good in practice as far as you can tell? Yeah, I was impressed with what he did at Kids Day with the spring. The spring open practice did not go well for him as people have seen, but I've heard good things about what he's done in outside of that practice behind closed doors. So does that, again, does that mean he's going to go from 57% completion to 77? No, but. No, we, we'd be happy with 63 would be awesome. I mean, if he had 63, it'd be exciting. And yeah. Added like three more touchdowns and three less interceptions or something, you know, like that would be an incredible improvement. Um, so we are I, we did we should talk about the defense a little bit, but before that, I mean, we lost the best returner in the Big Ten, Charlie Jones. So any inkling on who's going to be returning punts and kickoffs, and is are they avoiding wide receivers because of the depth issues? You want to one less you know less hits for whoever it would be to take. I mean, is that a factor? Do you think in the decisions that they're making? I think they're going to pick the best people possible at punt returner and the best people possible at kick returner. Um, the two names I'd probably keep an eye out the most for on punt return would probably be Arlen Bruce and Cooper DeGene. Oh, yeah. um, okay. Both of them, I think, could add a lot. Raymond Braithwaite, I was talking to at Media Day, and he was really complimentary of Cooper DeGene, saying that he's one of the fastest guys on the team. So that's, I think, something that could be an exciting factor there. I think everyone's familiar with what Arlen Bruce can do in his speed. So I'd say those two would be key names there. I wouldn't be surprised to see one of the running backs do kick returning. Terry Roberts could be in the conversation oh, wow. for kick or punt returning. I'd say maybe a little more likely kick than punt from what I've heard. Um, so you have some different people there that could be in the mix. And maybe... With running backs, that could even include Caleb Johnson, the true freshman, potentially in the mix there. Can Laporta do that too? So he'll <laughs> wide receiver, block, tight end, and then return kicks too? Is he? He's the Jack Campbell of the offense, where like Jack Campbell just doesn't take anything off. Yeah, that Sam Laporta 2022 right there. <laughs> All right. Um, I, let's at least talk to somebody that, that's gonna gonna make me happy and and Hawk fans happy. I mean, I, I'm trying to imagine how good this defense is, is gonna be. And if, if there's a question mark for me on the defense, and it's not really much of a question mark, it's kind of a misnomer, but it's the defensive line. Um, there were stretches last year, there had a lot of rotational guys where the pass rush seemed to kind of disappear. You know, against Purdue especially, and some of these games, they weren't really getting the rush on the quarterback as much as you would like. I'm still doing great, uh, you know, in the running game. But um, do you have any idea what the defensive line rotation is going to look like? Um, then you know how much they're going to mix it up, or is it just going to be there's going to be seven guys and they're going to get mixed and matched all the time? I mean, what are you seeing on the defensive line? They have exceptional depth at this position, and I think that really is the exciting thing about this defensive line. Is you look at it, they have. If you look at the two deeps you'd feel probably pretty good about everybody on that 2D list. 
And then you have other guys like Aaron Graves. Oh, who yeah. Could factor into this as a true freshman. He's one of the true freshmen I'll be keeping an eye on. Do they have him stop at four games or do they have him play more? Because he could really be a factor there as well. So I would expect several players rotating in. The other thing too is, okay, maybe you see somebody on the inside swing out to the outside or vice versa. Lucas Van Ness is a great pass rusher. He's been playing in games, mostly in the interior, but really the way that Kelvin Bell looks at it, as he is saying on my podcast back in some point in the summer, I think it's in June, summer's kind of flown by. Sure. But he was saying that he views the four defensive linemen as kind of four wheels on a car. So I think that's important to keep in mind with how they're going to rotate the defensive line. Certainly a lot of talent, though, when you have Lucas Van Ness coming into fall camp as a second teamer, Y.A. Black coming in as a second teamer. Deontay Craig is somebody who has been a little dinged up in fall camp, but another person who I think could really maybe make that next step and maybe be an explosive option there for this defensive line because it would be nice for them if they can have somebody who really takes a big step up there. Sure. Yeah. That was the one thing that seemed to be missed. There wasn't one guy who, but kind of got, got that way towards the end of the year. It wasn't one guy who was just a, a wrecker all the time, like the guy. And a lot of guys that were really good, but not, you know, hardcore beasts. Um, not Aiden Hutchinson. Sure. Yes. Correct. They didn't have an Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, the, the, yeah. An absolute monster on the end. Um, <laughs> so um, working our way to the back. So, I'm not an expert. I'm not the best at develop, uh, you know, at judging talent, but it seems to me like Iowa's linebackers might be the best ever interference. And I don't know, you weren't covering the Hawkeyes 20 years ago. So that, I mean, that's a, it's a, a long time ago. Um, if there's a problem, it's just getting everybody on the field. Now there's talk of maybe going back to some four, three. I mean, we, Iowa went away from the four, three. Um, it was just too much of a liability in pass coverage, but with, you know, um, everybody from, from Jack Campbell, um, Seth Benson, um, and now I can't remember the other guy's name, um, but the other great linebacker. Um, yeah, Campbell, Seth Benson, and Justin Jacobs. Justin Jacobs, there we go. That's the one. Justin Jacobs being so good and athletic. And Is there going to be some 4-3 for Iowa in the 2022 season? Yeah, I think you're always going to have that against Wisconsin. Sure, I think well, you sure. could maybe go a little more 4-3 dependent against some of the teams that maybe you would have gone a little more cash dependent on just because you have Justin Jacobs who has that versatility where he can get by. The issue is that the as much as Iowa's offense stays the same, Iowa's defense is living in a world where they're going up against more and more spread offenses. And there are going to be teams where it's going to be tough to have three linebackers on the field and particularly seven guys in the box. That's going to be a little more difficult against Purdue. Sure. So maybe you can go a little more into the 4-3, but I wouldn't expect them to abandon the cash by any means. Sure. So maybe that there's a, a little bit too much of the 4-3 hype I'm, I'm getting. Okay. So speaking of the cash, who's going to be in that cash hole? Is that settled yet? I think that's something that's open. One person who I think would be a great fit for it would be Cooper DeGene, but it sounds like he could be at a whole bunch of different positions. So I'd say that's something that 
I'll be curious to see. Maybe you have Sebastian Castro. Um, maybe you have later in the season, maybe Xavier Wampa could potentially do some work there. But I don't think it's as easy to distinguish as like last year. Okay, you knew it was me, Dane Belton. Right. Like okay. he was just kind of perfect for that role. Somebody that had spent time in the linebackers room. I don't think it's going to be as obvious of a fit this year, but those are some names to keep an eye on there. That's rocket. That's so given that they're still going to have to do the cash a lot. I mean, yeah. How do they get Justin Jacobs on the field more or Seth Benson on the field? I'm Jack Campbell's going to be on the field all the time, every down. So to me, there's no question here. How do they get those other two linebackers on the field more? They just, they just have them waiting in the wings. I mean, is that really just how it's going to go down? Do you think? That's a great question. I think the other factor to keep in mind is Iowa really was not bit by the entry bug last year, but that could change this year. Obviously, like you don't want to like you don't want to see your star linebacker go down with an injury, but it is something that happens in football. You have injuries and it gives you some insurance there that okay, you can have somebody and you're still going to be in really good shape there. But that'll be an interesting thing for Seth Wallace and Phil Parker to figure out how do you keep three guys on the field when really system-wise, there are going to be times where you can really only have two of them on the field at one time. Okay, all right, so it's Jalama for the coaching staff. All right, so we've got Riley Moss on one side as a corner. Have they settled in on CB2 yet? Is that another one that's still open? I think Jamari Harris is most likely going to settle into that role. Terry Roberts is somebody who I think people maybe forgot a little bit about because of his injury situation last year. He's certainly a capable cornerback. Obviously, Jamari Harris has the suspension because of his OWI, so he won't be out there for South Dakota State, it sounds like. So, yeah, that's the situation at those two positions. And then at safety, obviously, you have at strong safety, Kayvon Merriweather back. You aren't really very concerned about him. At free safety, you have Quinn Schulte. And that's kind of a similar route that Jack Kerner took, that Jake Gervais took. Now he's the latest in that walk mix. Walk-on free safety. Yep, it's always got yeah. a nice tradition of walk-on free safeties. And I would expect him to start out probably there and maybe – Depending on how Xavier Wampa transitions into the college game, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a chunk of time there as well. Okay, so that's where, where X, as they call him, Xavier Wampa, might might fit in, able to get some some snaps at uh, free safety or the cash position, depending on what's going on in the injury situation. All right. Well, I just just to kind of shift gears a little bit, John, I got to say those schedule makers were not super kind to the Hawkeyes this year. A really tough stretch after the <laughs> Rutgers game. Uh, do you see a scenario maybe where they lose, you know, four out of five, five out of six games? Is that a possibility that people are bracing for? Or do you think they roll another ten win season? How, how are you kind of seeing the the schedule shake out? I kind of break it into three buckets, where bucket number one is those first four games where the first four games is totally different than the rest of the schedule, where 
They start off with South Dakota State, a very respectable team, but an FCS team nonetheless. Then you play a down Iowa State team that obviously lost quite a senior class. Then you play a Nevada team that is really in serious rebuild mode. And then you go to Rutgers, and Rutgers by itself tells you enough. So I got to pause. Can I pause here, John? Yeah, I, I can tell you're from out of as a Hawkeye fan playing a down. I'm gonna put that in quote down Iowa State team when I was favored by six or seven points. That, that fills me with fear. Um, <laughs> Iowa State has a long history of of totally annoyingly upsetting Iowa early in the season when they should lose. So um, on paper, I agree. Iowa looks like they should be better than Iowa State because of how much they lost, but. Uh, Iowa has not been able to do anything the last three times they played Iowa State offensively. They only cracked 300 yards once. Um, that was like 302. They barely cracked <laughs> it. I, I'm a lot more anxious about that game than you are. But I guess on paper, yes, they should go 4-0 to start that stretch, right? It should be – it's the easiest four-game stretch they have of the season by far. Your brother yeah. point remains. Where I could see that game is certainly not a lock. I don't think you can count – South Dakota State is a lock either, no, frankly. No. Just they're really good. They're a respectable FCS team. They're just not quite as good as North Dakota State, but they're like 1B to North Dakota State's 1A. I mean, they're really, really good. Yeah. So that stretch, they should, and of course should is a funny yeah. word, but they should go 4-0 in that stretch. If they want to be a Big Ten West contender, like – if they aren't 4-0 in that stretch, obviously the non-con record doesn't play into that, but that's going to be kind of your red flag going into Big Ten season. Like, ooh, okay, they have some issues there. So, like, that's tier or bucket one. Then bucket two, I'll do the, bucket Then two the first. bucket starts getting filled with rain, I think, a little bit after that. <laughs> well, on the other extreme, you have Ohio State and Michigan that maybe they can contend with for a while, but I don't think Iowa's going to win either of those games. And the odds makers are probably going to be in that same boat there yeah, with so, me, especially Ohio State. Yeah, so there aren't point spreads for every game, and I was trying to find as many as I could. Right now, I think I don't know if it's FanDuel. Um, I don't know which one had, but they had Ohio State as 21-point favorites in that game. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's where I was at. I mean, is there any, is there any like revenge on Michigan? I mean, after they pretty much embarrassed them in the big 10 title, is there, is there any sort of like, we have to show up more to that game? You think? Well, they'll be amped and they they haven't scheduled for, oh, sorry. I talked all over you, John. I apologize. You go ahead. Oh, no problem. I think, okay. They'll have that feeling, but can that, feeling overcome losing 42 to three. It's not that much different of a Michigan team. There's a big difference between 42 to three and possibly winning that game. I think they can maybe bridge some of that gap. It should be more competitive than last year, but especially if you have a walk on, I hate to pick on Alec wick, but he's the guy in the two deep and he's a walk on. who's a red shirt freshman. And it sounds like he's done great things in spring camp and fall camp, but regardless, he's still a walk-on who is a redshirt freshman. And that's a really tough position for somebody like him, someone like Graham Fredrickson, you name it, to be going up against the Michigan secondary 
that's a tough ask, I think, for somebody, especially in terms of wide receiver with the lack of depth there. So I think that's the hold up there with Michigan. Now you can draw the parallels between 2022 Michigan and 2021 Penn State in terms of those games both at Kinnick. We'll see what time the game is, but it wouldn't shock me if that's in that evening time slot as well. There'll be a raucous crowd, of course, with the whole season being sold out. I mean, but you win that game, game, game and oh, the season looks a lot different, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, that really is going to be the game that's going to be the, okay, how good is this Iowa team, seriously? Because the offense could look pretty good in those first four games. Because yeah, you look that's, at that's it. A bad, I'll be really anxious if Iowa's offense can't look good in those four games. Boy, yeah. we're in, uh, in for it, for sure. Like, if you don't look good against Nevada and Rutgers, like, okay, you've got some pretty big issues there. But October 1st, Michigan, that's going to be a little bit of the reality check there. And, yeah, we'll see. Is this a team that could contend for the Big Ten West title, or is this going to be an 8-4, 7-5 kind of team? And I'll become abundantly clear there. Yeah, I was going to give Eric the, the Homer take on that because uh, we don't know if it's a night game. Kick night magic is a thing that we as Hawk fans believe in. It happened against Penn State and Iowa beat a really good Michigan team in 2016. Um, also, you know, turning the game ugly. I don't remember the final score is 14 to 13 or something like that. You know, um, the crowd can sway and the odds makers aren't nearly as optimistic about it. Michigan's a favorite for sure, but. They're less than a touchdown favorite as of now going into Kinnick. Um, so if I were going to be cheeky and pick an upset, that's one I would pick. Now, I'm not right, – we're going to – Eric and I are going to cover that some other time. But um, I'm far less worried about Michigan at home in Kinnick than what's going to be an absolute slaughter fest in Columbus. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's any way around that. But, um, yeah, th- yeah, those are the two brutal games in that that second block. And um, then in the third block is everything in between. So – you have Wisconsin in there, you have Minnesota in there, you have Purdue in there, and you have Nebraska. And Nebraska, obviously, Iowa's had their number, to say the least. But the interesting thing with Nebraska is they're kind of a totally different team, especially with the coaching staff changes, with the transfer portal wave of additions. Whereas funny, I was doing a radio interview for a Nebraska station and they were asking about like transfer portal additions for Iowa. It's like, well, there's one. So a tight end from Lafayette. Yeah, that's that's it. Yes, you know, a little different on this side of the Missouri River compared to Nebraska. So the key addition was the only addition. But that game, I think, is a wild card. Wisconsin is so similar stylistically, of course, year in year out. I think that could be a down-to-the-wire game, and it could be a difference, too, in terms of which quarterback who has not really met fan expectations makes a bigger jump in 2022 between Petrus and Graham Mertz. So that's another possibility there. Purdue, I think, is a really tough matchup, and of course, it doesn't help that then you have to go up against Tyrone Tracy and Charlie Jones, who know your defense very well. So that doesn't help. And then Minnesota is a respectable team. 
So I think the I disagree. gap between one and five in the Big Ten West is going to be smaller, or at least it looks like this year. We could see a team totally bottom out. Nebraska, the transfer portal additions could go great, or they could go terribly wrong. And things can change as the season goes along. But going into the year, going from one to five, it's not a huge gap there. So I participate in the Cleveland Plain Dealer does the unofficial Big Ten media poll because the Big Ten doesn't have a preseason poll themselves. And as I was ranking those first five, I was switching things around there on my little whiteboard as I was thinking through this because you have a pretty even top five there, relatively speaking. Can you can you give us what you had them ranked? Is that is yeah, that free sure. to disclose? Sure. So I had Wisconsin as first place, which most voters did as well. Um, now that's risky for me as I go grocery shopping in Iowa City, but um, so I had them as one, Iowa as two. Those two. I could see those getting flipped, but that seemed to be the most obvious one, too. Then I had Minnesota. No, I had Purdue three, Minnesota four, Nebraska five. And then let's see if I can remember what I did with Illinois and Northwestern. Those were the bottom two. Um, So I forgot to mention those two as well in my buckets. I'd put them closer to the 4-0 tier. Maybe they're a fourth bucket there in terms of games you should win, but they can be pesky and 17 to 12 was not a very convincing result last year. It, it wasn't. And Northwestern, Iowa hasn't beaten Northwestern and Iowa city since 2014. Um, they just seem to always eke out victories over Iowa um, and Iowa city. So basically yeah, the, the general consensus is any team in the big 10 West has a legitimate shot at winning it as long as they're not from the state of Illinois, basically. Pretty much. Um, okay. And in that tier of those four opponents in that third bucket, I think I forgot to mention, I'd expect Iowa to go two and two in that tier. Okay. Okay. So putting you on the spot, if you had to, you know, you have to pick what you think Iowa's record's going to be regular season. Where do you put the mat, John? I don't think fans are going to love me for this prediction, but I think Eden four. Okay, so I think the schedule is tough. Sure. So, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they went seven and five. And I could see a scenario where they go nine and three, but that really requires an improvement from the offense where you had a little more margin for error when your crossover games were an Indiana team that was not nearly as good as people expected. Oh, they were awful. They weren't even not. I mean, they were one of the worst teams in college football. They were just yeah. abysmal. They were terrible. After they were an AP top 25 team going into yeah. the year. So yeah. I got a lot of juice from that win too. Like people like, Oh, they beat this really good Indiana team. It's like, well, no, they beat a terrible no, Indiana team. Not so much. Yeah. Then you have a Penn state team that also was really hyped going into the year. And look at them. They weren't in the top 25 in the AP poll. And then you have Penn, or excuse me, already mentioned Penn State. Then you have Maryland that people thought, oh, maybe this is Maryland's year to turn the corner. And then there really wasn't. So you look at it, 
you go from three games that looking back, you'd say, okay, that those are three pretty winnable games to having a crossover stretch where you just don't have that margin for error offensively. That's true. And Iowa eked out the last four games of the last year. I mean, not counting the goal game or the Big Ten Championship game. Those last four of the regular season. That was just four icky, gross, unpleasant, but wins <laughs> nonetheless um, over what Illinois, Northwestern, Minnesota, and Nebraska. I mean, none of those were pretty and could have gone other ways, but they happened. To, the the luck shined on Iowa last year. I mean, they went four and one in those one score games, which is every great season I always had. They have some record like that in close games. <laughs> um, and they're going to be in a lot of close games this year, probably. And I don't think the records, you know, I don't think they're going to be that lucky again. So I, I get the pessimism. Makes and sense. you look at a game too, like the, you know, battle for the pig. You can't really rely on your defense keeping or with Minnesota offensively having 40 minutes of possession and expecting your defense to be able to hold up. That's not a consistently reliable formula there. Could you tell Kirk Ferentz that for me, please? Uh, <laughs> I try telling them having a good offense complements your defense better when they can move the ball, pick up first downs, score more points. It actually helps the defense. It doesn't make their job harder. It actually makes their job easier. Well, and I don't want to hold you to it, John, but it kind of sounded like maybe Floyd's staying in Minneapolis this year. Is that? Or, or, am I hearing that right? I wouldn't go that far. I would okay. view it as a toss-up. I'd put that in the two-and-two two category there, where I could see a situation where it stays in Minneapolis. I could see a situation where it comes back to Iowa for another year. So I think that game will go down to one possession likely down to the end, likely depending on game time makes me a little on edge with print deadlines. Oh, sure. Okay. Oh yeah. So, I mean, how often, I mean, since you have print deadlines, it's funny. I mean, I write for a website, but I don't have print deadlines. This is very (laughs) amateur stuff I'm doing. Um, How much writing do you have to do during the game to try to hit those deadlines? You'll see me tweet much less in the second half than in the first half. And that's because I'm writing. Okay. And there are times where often I'm filing or I'm writing two different recaps because you don't know, especially with Iowa. Sure. You know, there are some teams that if you covered them, you'd probably only have to do it one. But you're basically writing two because the last thing you want is to have to change a Iowa wins story to an Iowa loses story or vice versa right at the end because you don't want a recap that starts off reading as a win and then it's like oh wow this sounds like a really disappointing game so yeah you're doing a lot of writing as the game goes along so that you can have something up right away even if we don't have the print deadlines that's always something so that we can get the early thoughts out to fans to be able to read. Oh yeah. Especially where the opinions are hot and the, they're ready to just read <laughs> and either be angry or really happy. Um, so so sounds like I was going to be a lot of close games and we, one thing we didn't cover personnel wise. I mean, I'm hearing how wonderful both Iowa's kickers are. Are they wonderful? Who's going to kick and are they going to reliably be able to hit, you know, 55 yard field goals, which is what we're going to need them to do to have a shot. My answer to you now is a lot different than my answer to you would have been in March, in April. In the spring, it really didn't look 
too great for either one of them, Aaron Blom or Drew Stevens. And I was thinking, oh man, this could be a really rough year if this Iowa offense that doesn't get to the end zone then has kicking issues on top of it. Right. Like that's a one-two punch there that I don't know if Iowa would be able to withstand. But then everything I've heard and everything I've seen from the fall has been really promising in terms of both kickers, both Blom and Stevens. Blom, of course, has the advantage of being in the system a little longer. And sometimes you see in college sports that the person with a little bit more seniority sometimes gets a tiebreaker. I wouldn't be surprised. Now, depending on when this airs, maybe we'll have more information as availabilities come. But as I look at this now, I wouldn't be surprised to see a situation where both kickers have an opportunity early on because you can have them kick in practice and that's not the same as kicking in Kinnick and you can have them kick in Kinnick a few times. Mostly you have the two times with fans and then they've also been Kinnick other times, but even then, even when you have the fans for kids day and you have the fans for the open practice in the spring, it's not the same as having 70,000 fans and having that scoreboard running and it actually having real stakes. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the kicking question of who's going to start linger a little bit longer than in past years. But I would feel pretty good if I was an Iowa fan about both options based on what they've done in fall. Of course, with my disclaimer that practice doesn't always translate into games, but it's certainly an encouraging sign from both guys there. And that's really the big question with special teams because punter, you're not really concerned with Tory Taylor. Yeah. We didn't talk about Tory Taylor because we all know he's great. Yeah. And then returning is a little bit of a question mark, but you have options there and the challenges that they haven't had game experience yet, but one thing will change that. Sure. Okay. And, and, as far as both kickers go, I mean, equal legs. I mean, you seem to be able to hit from equal distances. I mean, in the past, I always had a situation where, like, there's the guy who's really accurate inside 40 yards, but just once it gets outside of 50, has, like, no chance. Accuracy goes way down. Um, but it's a situation where they're, they're both about equal equal range. I would say, and of course, it's a small sample size sure. that I'm seeing and hearing about. But I would say if they would split it up based on distance, it'd be a little more likely that maybe Blom does the shorter distance, Stevens does the longer distance in the kickoffs. That could be a scenario we see. But okay. we'll see what they have cooked up week one. Yeah, we're almost there. We're getting there. So last thing for me, and totally unrelated, well, sort of related to your writing, I saw your column today. Luca Garza signs with the Timberwolves? Is that yeah. Is he going to make the team, you think? You know, I was pinch hitting on basketball oh, coverage. Okay. It's usually not my beat. Usually that's our very talented columnist, Mike Klaas's territory there. But he's off on vacation before the season starts. This is kind of the last chance for people to squeeze in vacation before things get really busy. So I was pinch hitting there. But You know, I think that'll be an interesting training camp to see how Garza fits in there. Obviously, if he ends up in the G League, I think there would be some happy Iowa fans in Des Moines who could see him play 
And maybe the Iowa Wolves attendance will be a little better. Of course, the issue that Garza has to face is what can he do defensively at the NBA level? And I think that's going to be the question that's going to follow him. But I'll be curious to see what happens in a couple months. Here's no, here's what the Timberwolves should do, Eric. They should trade Cat, just get rid of him. He's a bum, and then just go all in on. Just go heavy on Luca. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. That's do that, and then you know you're talking several well, NBA championships in a row. I was gonna say they they needed size, but then they you know they traded for Gobert. So I I don't know. I mean he's definitely not gonna crack the starting lineup, but they definitely needed some size. So he's a good player. I. You know, obviously unrelated to this. I just I saw it. Yeah, Eric, can you, can you give me a Luca Garza Timberwolves jersey um, <laughs> for Christmas? I will. I'll <laughs> get it for sure. Maybe happy. John can get it signed. Who knows? We'll see. All right. Well, I don't have anything else. This was incredible. Thank you. Thank you, John Steppy. Really, really appreciate your time and your expertise. Uh, mostly you gave me, you made me more sad, I have to say. But, you know, truth hurts, as Lizzo said. So, um, <laughs> so uh, folks can find the, the Gazette website paper, find your stuff. You, you're on a po- you have a podcast as well, right? Um, yep, Hawk Off the Press. If you search on Iowa Sports, that'll get you all of our Iowa podcasts. As wrestling season picks up, we have wrestling podcasts there. That so all that will be on the on Iowa Sports channel. You can get that on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Twitter broadcasts most of the time. However you want to get them, you can get that. You can follow me on Twitter at jsteppy1. Um, yeah, search the Gazette. And we actually just um, revamped our Iowa football website. So you can instead of having to even type in the long URL, you can just go to iowafb.com, and that'll take you right to our Hawkeye football coverage. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so much for joining. really appreciate it. Uh, good luck to the Hawkeyes this season. Um, maybe we'll have you on again if you're, you ever want to join back in and, and chat and see how the che- maybe a season check-in, something like that. But, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. Thanks, All right. Yeah, thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk to you later. <laughs>